And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. Steph is back. We're ready to talk about all things U.S. Women's National Team after a pair of friendlies against Uzbekistan. It's been a beautiful couple of days in New York City here. I can actually walk on both of my legs without crutches. Like, we're just, spring is here. Soccer is happening. What a, what a time to be alive. Before we get to the rest of today's episode, as always, to show your support of full-time, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and app, basketball, all of our WNBA draft coverage, you name it. You can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. Fun fact, uh, this weekend was my three-year anniversary at The Athletic, and while it's not a podcast anniversary to go along with it, I did want to say a quick word of thanks for everyone who has subscribed and followed all of the work, both on the site, here at Full Time, on Twitter, wherever you are. Uh, thank you. All right, let's start with a little bit of news, but we're we're going to dig into the main thing of the week, so we'll keep it quick. But I wanted to start with a couple of TV numbers, one each for the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team. Now, the first friendly against Uzbekistan averaged an a- earned an average of 438,000 viewers on Fox last weekend. And then we also had 456,000 viewers for the big San Diego Wave Angel City matchup on big CBS. Now, of course, both of those games are on the biggest channels, but both are pretty promising numbers, uh, especially for the NWSL. And not to mention that San Diego Wave Angel City game was pretty fun and wild and full of goals. That was great for neutral viewers, as long as you didn't mind an all vibes, no defense approach. All right, the field for this summer's CONCACAF W Championship is set with Mexico, Costa Rica, Trinidad and Tobago, Haiti, Jamaica and Panama rounding out the eight teams alongside the U.S. and Canada to determine who's heading to the 2023 World Cup. There are four direct qualifying bursts for the World Cup and one for the 2024 Olympics at stake this summer in Mexico. And France, Sweden, and Spain all clinched qualifying for 2023 over in Europe, the first teams to earn their berths via UEFA. All right, Steph is here, and it is time for some U.S. Women's National Team talk. All right, Steph, we we survived watching two games of the U.S. Women's National Team versus Uzbekistan. Um, combined scoreline of 18 to 1. Yet I do actually think that we learned some things about this team simply because of who we actually saw on the field. What was your main takeaway from the two games overall? Let's let's just start there. I think there weren't a lot of surprises about who Vlatko Andonovsky favors, particularly when it comes to offense. I think I'm more interested in what he was doing with his subs and his defense, um, especially in the second game. 
uh, Naomi Girma got a full 90. Now, part of that is he did tell press before these games that because of, you know, club duties, that they're trying to be really careful about minutes restrictions. So even if you're perfectly healthy, they're not going to load people with two 90-minute games in less than a week, which was smart. So I wouldn't read too, too much into roster decisions, but I do like that Germa got a full 90. I thought it was so interesting watching her, especially when um, Christy Mewis was on, and she was, and they were trying to play out of the back, and every single time, Christy would be like, Naomi, faster, faster, switch fields faster. And I was just so interested in seeing that communication coming from kind of the older player and then the younger player who's having to adjust to like, NWSL is one speed, right? You're already stepping up from college. And then again, the international level, regardless of who you're playing and the demands, they were like, Naomi, you gotta. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was so interesting. And then, yeah, the subs, especially in the second game. So Uzbekistan compacted back a little bit in the second half. And then he brings on the subs, which is Trinity Robin, that's Mitch Purse, that's Ashley Hatch. And so, yes, they didn't score as many goals in the first half, but Uzbekistan was also giving them far less than what they were giving them in the second half. So I thought, actually, that was an interesting place to learn when it's like, okay, they're starting to put, instead of three in front of goal, like five or six in front of goal, and what are you going to do with that? And they scored three goals. Not bad. I mean, I think, you know, going into these games, I think everybody kind of had this expectation of these are going to be kind of pointless friendlies, right? Like just for the context for folks who who don't remember, they had apparently a top Asian team lined up, but there are quarantine issues still with the pandemic. And so that team was like, actually, no, JK, we have other things that we need to send our players off to do. And we don't want to deal with the quarantine of coming in and out of the United States, which seems fair at this point in time. And so really the way that we've kind of heard it is it was Uzbekistan or nothing, which is not really an option for this team. And like, you can say, Oh, well, what do you just have a camp? Right. But I think putting it in the context of there were four games remaining until CONCACAF uh, tournament this summer, which is now world cup and Olympic qualifying. Right. And, and that's going to have, I think a slightly different vibe than what we're used to for CONCACAF qualifying tournaments the competition I think is going to be better and getting that front five right I think we heard a lot from Vlaco over the past week about the front five and how they're starting to gel but seeing Mallory Pugh Katerina Macario and Sophia Smith together on a front line in two games and making sure that they were being ruthless as possible is not a bad thing for this team and that is pretty much what we got i think they're pretty clearly in contention for like his first choice 11 and people are like oh but alex morgan's not back Kristen press is not back and yeah that would maybe throw a wrench in the works but man they are making it hard <laughs> yeah I, I i do think you know there there is always going to be angst right about turnover on this team but i think what we have seen is that the olympic strategy didn't really work right and there is now the shift of you know we kept seeing that the the youth movement was getting put off and getting delayed right and that the youth were really forcing their argument on Vlaco of we are ready to play right now right and if you want to talk about a player who I think had a case at the Olympics for being a potential difference maker and then only got seven minutes Katarina Macario (laughs) 
is right up there in terms of, you know, you have to get her minutes on a field in order to get her to gel. And we've seen really good, impressive stuff from her in Champions League too, right? Like, I think it was very interesting to see her pull basically the same spin move in the box, both in the Champions League game and then against Uzbekistan and have more defenders on her (laughs) with Uzbekistan. But like, you have to get her meaningful minutes and so much in every single press conference was about the chemistry of this front line, the chemistry of the front five, the the relationships that players are building. And you cannot do that without actually getting them game minutes. So, so just to be clear, you're saying that if we had had these, even Uzbekistan kind of level friendlies before the Olympics, Olympics, maybe Kat Makario is more ready to go then. I don't know if it's uh, Uzbekistan level. It's just you know, now the work is actually happening, right? And you do actually have this kind of essentially, I don't want to play it like, call it like a playground environment, but you are going to have a quality of opponent that allows you to just try things, I think. And we saw that with Rose Lavelle too. Like Rose Lavelle was just, no one was closing her down, right? So Rose Lavelle is like, all right, cool. I'm just going to try things. I'm just going to explore the space that you're giving me. I'm going to just create a goal out of nothing by running at your back line because no one's going to come and close me down. Right. And so I think that it turns into a confidence boost, but I do think that it also gives you a chance to have to problem solve, right? Like the first 25 minutes of that first game did not look very clean in a lot of ways. There was some really weird decision-making happening. And then all of a sudden you get the unlock of, oh, okay, we have like a whole bunch of goals right in a row. And that does change the dimension of the game. But still, it took them 25 minutes to figure out how are we working to get the first one. And that's still, it's not going to be a Germany, right? But you still have to go through those game scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... The, the stuff that they're doing, they, they, had, they would not have time and space to do <laughs> under, you know, no. <laughs> uh, a more experienced team with more experienced players. I do wonder if the original top Asian Confederation team they had lined up was Japan, just because the coach of Uz- Uzbekistan is Midori Honda, who's a former national team mm-hmm. player. And so maybe that's the connection there. Like, I think a lot of us were like, how did they get to Uzbekistan? Right. Um, yep. And I'm wondering if the Japan, the Japanese Federation was like, well, we can't, but we know someone who might yeah. be able to. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought a lot of what you were talking about on Twitter during these two games about Uzbekistan was really important, too, is that it was very clear that they had a strategy coming into these games and like a real we're not just going to cave under pressure. And I think it, it took them three halves to finally adjust their approach. But What was really interesting is that I think we did see a real dedication to, no, we're still going to try to to get something out of these games for Mm -hmm. ourselves. Mm -hmm. And full credit to them for getting that goal. I mean, like, Vlaco walked into the the media room after the first game, and he was not happy about allowing a goal. Right. And that's... That's a good thing for, for both teams, honestly. They learned from that because it was a kind of chaotic set piece. Um, first of all, Uzbekistan doesn't get a set piece without the way they play. If they just turtle up and try to fight out, they get cornered back. And so because they were willing to let themselves get a little stretched and try to be brave and pushing forward 
uh, together instead of just like booting it up and hoping maybe they can win on the break, they get uh, a set piece chance. And guess what? <laughs> also, we the got best celebration. Yeah. Oh my god, it was so good. It was so good. I just kind of like wiped everything else from the game <laughs> out of my brain for a moment. Ugh. I do. You know, I, I get. I get the angst because I mean, you know, go back to uh, the Thailand game, right? In 2019, like none of these feel good, but also like frequently CONCACAF qualifiers don't feel good either. You know, like I think that this is a team that is used to running up score lines on teams that are ranked 45th in the world. Right. And so there is a real internal look of what are we achieving? Not just the scoreline aside, like, are we achieving whatever specific metrics that Vlako Andonovsky is looking for? And I think that's always something that you can trust about this team. But I, I do, you know, if if this was kind of the test of that front five in chemistry, it's hard to to be like, I mean, there was a tweet that I saw that was like, oh, the U.S. Women's National Team's B team came out here and took care of business. So I was like, this is not the B team. This is the, not the B team, right? The future like, is now. The yeah, we're, is. We're, we're in it. <laughs> we're in it. It's happened. Laco is just like, okay, keep your place, old heads. It's time for, you know, look at these kids. They're ready. They're not even kids anymore. And I thought it was such a great payoff in terms of finally getting not just youth players in, but their careful assessment of NWSL. A lot of these players do not get the same consideration without NWSL. Like uh, Aubrey Bledsoe, no, Kingsbury. Kingsbury. Um, you know, Ashley Sanchez. Yes. Ashley Hatch, even. Trinity Ashley Rodman, Hatch. to a certain extent. I know Rodman is on the, the was on the youth radar, but without that season with the Washington Spirit, maybe she's still getting called into camps and evaluated, you know, and as opposed to actually getting minutes on the field and scoring her first international goal. So, right. you know, in, in that sense, like, y'all watch your backs. Yeah, I mean, no no roster spot feels super safe right at the moment, right? I, I do think that Roosevelt feels pretty solidly a lock um, on this team. Lindsay Horan feels pretty solidly when she's a healthy, lock. Yeah. When, but, I mean, again, you know, there's always the factor of health. So, like, with the asterisk that every single one of these names... <laughs> has we've got to consider health a factor um kelly o'hara maybe yeah yeah i mean like i think we're now kind of even seeing that shift of leadership of now we're looking at who is the next leader of this team and roosevelt getting the captain's armband for the first time right mm -hmm. um lindsey horan has been filling that role kelly o'hara has been filling that role so i think we are even seeing that that shift now of Becky Sauerbrunn obviously missing from injury. I don't know if, like, I, I feel pretty confident that once she is back, she's going to get called back in because, again, I think she is kind of that voice, but I think her minutes are probably also going to be decreased just because also you do have to shift Alana Cook and now Naomi Gurma, right, into getting more minutes, especially with Tierna Davidson out. So I think Becky Sauerbrunn plays a more valuable role coming off of the bench to settle a game down if something goes wrong, right? That she does have that presence. Um, and in the meantime, this gives you the shift of, especially I think Alana Cook, getting her real, real minutes before the 2023 World Cup. I think that's crucial because Alana Cook's not done cooking. 
<laughs> she's not the finished product yet. She still needs a lot of experience. I think there are moments where she's not super. She, she's a little lackadaisical on the ball or in her decision making where it's like, Alana, you need to. Again, that international, like, we gotta. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even at the end of the cell level, sometimes I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, can you gotta read the space and react a little bit faster than that? But, you know, she'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, I do want to talk about Ashley Hatch and also the forward pool because obviously, you know, for all of the focus, it was kind of an interesting thing at halftime for the second game where it, I was just like, we could be talking about these kids right now. And so we're talking about the players who aren't there. Right. But the, the players that are really pushing for the, these depth spots, um, Ashley Hatch, I think has made a real argument via NWSL, but also what she's been able to do off the bench for the national team. I mean, kind of an instant game changer kind of target forward for this team that has been able to finish some real chances. Midge Purse has gotten a couple looks now off of the bench, right? Um, Morgan Weaver is still kind of in that general picture. I think she's further outside, sure. But, you know, you have players coming in from the NWSL ecosystem that I think are really, this is going to be the the one where competition for spots feels really, really tight. And Lynn Williams being hurt this year maybe opens up a door to someone yeah. like Ashley Hatch. Oh, it would be so much worse if Lynn Williams were he- worse, quote unquote, if Lynn Williams and Sam Mewis were healthy. Like things would just be dire, but in the best possible way. I guess like what a <laughs> what a problem to have yeah. as a coach. I'm sure other coaches looking at that being like, screw you, buddy. <laughs> I feel so bad for you. Yeah. But yeah, it's so unfortunate what happened with Lynn Williams that, you know, her friggin' hamstring just detached from her muscle because she's too powerful. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, you know, it probably. I still, she- I, oh, time out, because I just still can't really go over the fact that when she went down during that game, right, to get subbed off and she was like smiling. I don't know. As someone who just recently went through a traumatic leg injury, I'm just mentally going through the concept of like, oh, you're smiling right now. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it's Professional like me athletes, when, man. when I don't know what to do. So I'm just like, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. And so her, um, Lynn Williams being out. Yeah. That is a huge opportunity for Mitch Purse because we saw last night, she was asked to do a lot of the same things that Lynn Williams is asked to do. She won a lot of her 1v1 take-ons. She dominated the right side, the width, and both able, like, coming into, you know, the box on the dribble and then setting up the cross and also being asked to, like, 
lurk around and mm-hmm. make herself really dangerous. And yeah, she did. Press it was when it's appropriate. Yeah. yeah. She was, she was cleaning up a, a garbage goal, but it's still a goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just in terms of midfield, I guess, where do you think this team is at? Just because I feel like we've had such a lock, right. For this midfield for so, so long, Julie Ertz being out now, I think Andy Sullivan is, is pretty clearly, yeah. um, the heir apparent for the number six, but you know, Jalen Howell, we saw a little bit, um, did not dress for the second game, which I think was a little interesting. Right. But I think also, again, like there really were just kind of rotation decisions happening. Lindsay Horan not dressing either for the second game, um, simply for what they called precautionary rest on the, which I feel like should be the story of my life. It's just, I, I think, I'm taking precautionary rest right now. Thank you. <laughs> I can't come into work. <coughs> precautionary rest. I, I think Haran probably, the sense is that maybe there's some injury issues here that are like. This travel you know. too, like I know Vako Andonovsky was pretty, you know, in that first conference call was just like, they're coming from France. We have to keep that in mind. You know, I guess. Uh, Cap Macario has the advantage of of being a youth who bounces back from <laughs> flight uh, better. Those days when you just be like, "Yeah, I'm cool," right? You I get know, like five hours I'm- sleep, and yeah, you get it the next day, and you eat like a bag of candy, and your little <laughs> early twenties body is just like, "This is fine. We can do it." <laughs> yep. Although, like. You know, okay, so this, um, yeah, the first game is in the Midwest, so that's kind of a longer flight from France. Uh, you know, West Coast to Pennsylvania is not the, it's kind of a similar time and distance, but I mean, I get it. For some reason, international travel just feels so much worse than domestic, if it, even if it's the same amount of time and distance. Yeah, I would agree with that. So in terms of, so we got Sullivan, Rose, um you know, had herself another pair of games, right? I think really, I think they said on the broadcast that Roosevelt has been the most consistently played under Flacco and Donofsky since he took over as head coach, which does feel right. I mean, she's also had a really good um, spell of health here, and I feel like I should be knocking on wood (laughs) as I say this ahead of any sort of tournament function. But Mm -hmm. I also, you know, Roosevelt, I think, has definitely looked, I feel like she's always impre- like looked fine on the international stage, but I do think Roosevelt with Laura Harvey and O.L. Rain is kind of a different player now. Yeah. I think she's settling down. I think in the early years, all that stuff with injuries uh, kind of gave the impression that she was injury prone, and I don't know that she is. I think it was just coincidence and bad luck, and she's been pretty healthy for a while now. I was also thinking, we were talking about NWSL, and I think a player gunning for that Rose Lavelle role is actually Savannah McCaskill. But the problem is she's probably not going to get to showcase that a lot because Angel City, like, once teams figure out that if you stop Savannah McCaskill, you can stop a lot of what's going on with Kristen Press as well. (laughs) Like, they're going to have to work on that. But I do think... Like when we saw the games against Uzbekistan before that, Rosa Vell is ostensibly playing kind of a tennis role, right? But she's being asked to come up and, and to sit in the gaps in the forward line so they can put like four, sometimes five people 
up into the box at one time in a line. And that's exactly how Savannah McCaskill also can be played, like asking her to play a more structural, like playmaker midfield role, and then asking her to be able to come up and see the gaps between the forwards, especially in a front three. And so, you know, she's looking at that and thinking, I could do that, maybe. You know, not quite the same skill set, but I do think they both overlap quite a fair bit. And so Vlatko is looking there. Again, why would he? Because he <laughs> likes Rose so much and she's doing so well. And he's got a lot of midfield options and he's got Ashley Sanchez, Sanchez. in there as well. But, you know, that is where my mind drifted. I I do think that it is, you know, I, I feel like this team has always kind of liked having... I don't want to say like direct clones, right? But kind of one for one options on some of these players. And so I do get your point on McCaskill potentially um, being a factor here. I, again, you know, I think we've we've seen that Vlako Andonovsky is definitely looking at NWSL in terms of affecting call-ups and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, I'm a little less concerned now Um in terms of if she's having good performances in the NWSL, like I do feel like that's on a radar. Um, another player that I did forget to mention, and I don't know why I, I messed up my uh, forward line, but Mal Pugh. <laughs> Obviously, again, yeah. if we want to talk about NWSL, um, personally terrorizing the Houston Dash <laughs> so far through the Challenge Cup. Um but then also coming in to national team environment and, you know, looking super confident, again, taking players one-on-one. And again, you know, like Uzbekistan, sure. But that was a thing that I talked to her about in the, the playoffs last season of how she wanted to get back to that part of her game. And this is a player where, A, you know, she's got the chemistry going with the forward line, but there is kind of that responsibility of can you run at players? Can you run at a back line and make something happen? And Mal I think, has really, really shown that she can be a factor for this team again. Mal and Sophia Smith are such an incredible one-two punch, providing both the width and players who can come more central. And they're both versatile. They can play both sides. I think Mal Pugh is the more developed striker or forward at this time. I think Sophia Smith, sometimes she's like 80, 90% there. I would want to see her get sharper with Portland. Portland already like relies on her quite a bit, which yeah. I think is really telling given how young she is, but they're already like, Sophia, help us, you know? <laughs> Sophia, um, we're going to need like 10, 12, 15 right. goals out and of you this season. Thanks. Somewhat delivering, but yeah, I think I want to see her get just that last 10%, and then it'll be like, oh, RIP, everybody else, you know? Yeah. And so I, I do love that, that that's that option, which means like, you know, there's not really a, a weak side happening here, at least in terms of our forwards. So you can mix and match as you will. You And Blacko talked about this before the game where he wants to look at both their ability to build through the middle and create combination play, but also to drag people wide and like just pump the crosses into the box. And then, like you said before, when we started to develop targets like Ashley Hatch, 
as a big target, or even Kat Macario, Rose Laval, who can drift into that space, Ashley Sanchez, who can arrive late. And then you have players like that who can, you know, on either side kind of drag the try to drag the defensive line a little wide, create some gaps. You know, should be a fun time. I would love to see them try to do it against a higher ranked team. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that there's going to be a lot of pressure to have these June games, uh, you know, be a little more competitive. And I'm very curious to see how that goes simply because the U.S. is going to be in pretty much the exact same spot, though CONCACAF qualifiers are done. So maybe you get a, a higher quality team in from CONCACAF, you know, like maybe it is a USA-Mexico matchup. Um, I, I think that that kind of feels like the most obvious option for them right at the moment but Mm -hmm. you know you still have all the european teams prepping for euros in this window and so i think that that really is going to prevent kind of a meaningful look but if you're going into a concacaf qualifying tournament why not get arguably one of the top concacaf opponents mexico beat puerto rico six nothing last night by the way when we're talking about like CONCACAF results the United States is not the only team that can like stomp all over others right. Mexico beat Puerto Rico 6 nothing, and um, Costa Rica beat Guatemala 5 nothing. so yeah this is it's a whole nother podcast about the development <laughs> of you know CONCACAF nations yeah I think USA Mexico would be great personally I wish that they would like just play each other in a like year long series <laughs> and create a true regional CONCACAF rivalry there. I mean, I think USA could also stand going to Mexico for one of these friendlies if they did a home and away. Azteca. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I like we can start the petition right now, but I, I do think like if you're going to go play in Mexico this summer, why not do a home and away series with Mexico to prep in June? Like I understand that there's a financial cost to it, but I don't know if it would be a bad thing. I mean, between NWSL and Liga MX crossovers, like, I, f- I feel like we can also work on United States-Mexico games. And Mexico is, they've been developing. Um, I also think Diana Ordonez declared mm-hmm. for Mexico as well. That's yeah, a she, nice get. She, she um, from the North Carolina Courage. Yeah. Yeah, she came yeah. on in both games and, like, immediately scored for Mexico. Yeah. So, like, I mean, yeah, we're... I, I do think that starting to build that as like a meaningful, obviously you already have USA Canada, right? Which only I think now has shifted into something a little more meaningful. Sorry, Steph. But I mean, the Olympics definitely helped have those games. Like they were always like tightly contested and could be spicy, but it wasn't necessarily ever anything that really felt like a real rivalry. But I do think USA-Mexico, especially with the rise of the domestic league there, that feels like a good investment even from the U.S. women's national team point of view to have that become kind of a an annual game that would be like a real event to build around. It's on the men's side, obviously, with a very different connotation, but... I don't know. Also, I think it gives you a chance if you put USA Mexico in a spot for the women where you are going to allow a crowd like I I don't think we need to do the stupid thing where we like try to gatekeep Mexican fans out. It would also give you a better testing environment for some of these younger players where the crowd is not going to be as friendly within the U.S. 
Right, where you don't have 10,000 girls screaming USA and doing the wave, at least not for them. Um, I'm sure, honestly, Canada is looking at Liga MX Feminine and being like, yeah, that worked. Yeah. And being like, well, time for us. I mean, they're they're certainly agitating for it. Obviously, again, things are different. I think Mexico has like three or four times the population of Canada. Like Canada, once again, suffering from being geographically bigger, but having like one tenth the inhabitable land just because of, you know, the friggin' cold. Yeah. So, you know, good luck with him because I would love for Canada to have a stronger pipeline and to be more competitive and not have to rely on like a once in a lifetime golden generation and then get their dinky little two game gold medal celebration tour, which is again, a whole other podcast, <laughs> but we'll just, I'll just hand the podcast over to you and Sharina Med, and you can complain about Canada's approach to the women's national team for an hour. We'll call it full time, but in like Quebecois French. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we've got the two friendlies coming up in June tail end of the month i want to say the window is june 20th to the 28th since i just looked at it earlier this morning and then we've got Concacaf qualifying running through the month of july what is your main remaining question for the u.s women's national team before we get into qualifying <laughs> i feel like <laughs> i just broke your brain <laughs> i don't know i think all the questions that i have are only going to be answered by seeing them play like, yeah, like a Mexico or even a Canada who, yes, some the outcomes for a while statistically have been in favor of the United States, but they're still defensively can be very hard to break down. They defended their way to a gold medal in, in combination with, you know, a bit of luck. But yeah, they defended some their way to kicks. a gold medal. <laughs> so if you want to test ways to break down a tough defensive team, that also is not just defending by sitting in a low block. I think that's a good test. Canada also has one of the best D mids in the game in Quinn. So that would be a really good midfield test, actually. So I don't know if I can give you the questions because the questions need other questions in order to become questions. Does that make sense? It does. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think my number one question is, who's the starting goalkeeper for this team right now? Alison Nair. I just don't think it's that big a question. I really don't. I think there's a Maybe huge... Maybe it's just my like personal thing of, <laughs> I would like that to be the question, because I right. think that it should be a question. I, th I think there's a huge um, goalkeeping pool right behind her. It's the biggest the pool has ever been. Like, with her 80 French, by the way, like, when is she going to come back and, and start yeah. know, making some inroads here? Um this is also personal bias. Would love to see Abby Smith kind of get the same run out that Bella Bixby has gotten. Like, obviously, Bixby did not dress for either game. But clearly, she's being called into camp so that they can be like, you know, show Let's us what's going look. on. Yep. Yep. Let's see what you're doing with Nadine out there in Portland. So I'd love to see that from Abby Smith as well, who I think has a great, you know, set, like, base set of skills. 
and is also working with Nettie and Unger. Obviously, there's Kingsbury, Casey Murphy. Casey Murphy, right, which I think was because that was my big question of like, where is Casey Murphy on this roster? And then she had been on the injury report for the courage. So I think it might have just been a factor in terms of timing of when the roster was announced. But I think Casey Murphy, based on some of the performances that we've seen from her at the national team level, has a pretty good shot at at least assuming the number two. Right. Right. Even if Casey Murphy hadn't been on an injury report and she wasn't called in, you're also kind of hamstrung. Sorry. Sorry, that's that's a rough word. Sorry. Um, by only having three spots, maybe mm-hmm. four for like a developmental spot for for the camp. So, you know, defenders, you can call them five or six. Same with the mids and forwards. But the poor goalkeepers. Yeah, it's there's. I mean, what is interesting is maybe maybe this is finally at a point where, you know, USA Hockey does a thing where they have a whole goaltenders camp, right? Where they bring in like a pool of 10 and get to work with them just on goal. Like there's maybe potential here for, for us soccer to start thinking about, like we actually have a pretty decent pool. Where are folks at? Like bring in the youth, you know, the U 20, U 17 at the same time, get them all in a room together, say, this is what we're looking for from the position, you know, here let's work on, you know, playing out of the back and all that kind of stuff. Like, Mm-hmm. I, this is, I think, the first time where the U.S. Women's National Team would actually have enough players to even do it. I'm so interested in what U.S. soccer's goalkeeping coach philosophy is versus, for example, like an Anger. Anger has said many times she does not coach like a lot of other coaches, particularly American <laughs> goalkeeping coaches. And then when you talk to people like Bella Bixby and Abby Smith, they're like, yeah, it's very different with Nadine the techniques and strategies and things that we talk about are are very different from what we've been used to. So on the flip side, yeah, I do wonder if for like Bixby being the primary example, just because she was called in, like how do you merge styles or, or as an athlete, how do you adapt if, you know, one is asking you for one thing and your yeah. club's asking you for another, especially given for Bixby, being kind of farther down the ladder, I would assume club is probably her higher priority right now. Which is not a bad thing. No. Right? No, no, no. I I do, like, I want to maybe end on this one final note because I think that there is maybe the bigger philosophical question around the U.S. Women's National Team of, you know, for so long this has been kind of this core (laughs) to a team, right? And I think the new CBA is also maybe going to impact this a little bit, but... Does it make more sense to maybe think about the same approach that the men's national team uses where you are calling in players in form? It, I don't think we have enough international players to do it quite the same way of like, oh, we're we're calling in like MLS players versus international players. But in terms of, you know, if the NWCL really is playing this role that I think we are already seeing it play, can you maybe use these camps now in a slightly different fashion of, we're going to start playing with some of these combinations a little bit more. And the only thing that gives me pause there is I think in the Olympics, we saw, I don't know if it was tension or if it was just like, this is the first time that this approach has really been used, but like the way that a starting 11 might change to suit an opponent, which I don't think is a bad thing in concept, but in execution, it did not work. Hopefully one day we'll get the full story of what went on there. 
I mean, I, not to rehash old ground, but yes, but something I, I was think going like, on there beyond you know, the tactical. I still, I still think about what did we really learn from the Olympics, right? And like, because that was the defining question after the Olympics was like, what is this team going to take away from this? Because we're probably never really going to find out what the team is actually taking away from it in terms of not just watching video, right? But like why some of this stuff didn't work. Was it overthinking on Vlako Andonovsky's part? Was it the fact that players weren't used to this kind of approach of like they just expected to play? And so that uncertainty felt kind of unmooring, right? Can you actually shift this team though into um, that kind of concept of we're going to use certain players against certain teams or we're going to use certain, you know, strategies against other teams. And like, you might be in one, but not in the other. And that's like a real mindset change for the national team on the women's side. It happens every time though. It's, I don't think it's new. Like think back to around 2004 ish when there was the big turnover from the 99ers and this, this, current core group, the Kelly O'Harris and Megan Rapinos, we had Abby Wombach at that time. Those were the young guns. That was another kind of cultural turnover. Um, and so the, the team has gone through it before. They'll go through it again. They'll keep on trucking. They'll, they'll keep winning games. They might look different, but you know, how soon we forget our history, <laughs> you know? But I think it's like it's bigger than just like a roster turnover, right? Or like the youth coming in, because I think that is very much a part of this team. And 2004 was really one of the bigger moments, I think, after 2015, too, was kind of a smaller version of that. And I definitely think, you know, there was that tension for a really long time of you have this whole generation trying to make the World Cup Olympics combo and a whole generation being like, we're not waiting for you to get your... Like, please exit stage left. Thank you. Um, but there is kind of maybe the bigger the bigger question of does the approach change in terms of how you approach every roster, right? Like that there might be less of a core. Yeah. I So to your point, that World Cup Olympic cycle, to a certain extent, does kind of artificially create you know, the people staying too long or people having to come in too early in terms of timing. But I think the overall goal would probably be, yes, let's create a pipeline and a method of evaluating players so that we don't have to have this kind of generational turnover. Like it's just gradual all the time. And so going into a tournament, we're not having to have this existential, oh, Alex Morgan, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, Megan Rapinoe, like what's going to happen you know, and to a certain extent, I think they are kind of addressing that where I'm not super worried, even if they don't play. I'll be kind of bummed because some of them are my favorite players, but I'll be like, you know, in the med, like the overall sense of things, we're probably going to be fine. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it, that we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. <laughs> sometimes that's what we think. Sometimes even if you things aren't fine the first step to being fine is telling yourself that you can be fine all right Steph I'm sure we will talk again soon on this on this podcast oh come on we just floated like three or four other separate podcast ideas <laughs> including me for like 40 minutes going on a rant about how much Canada soccer like 
has dropped the bag. Next time. Next time. I'm sure I'm sure Canada soccer will love it. Thank you to Steph, as always. Uh, we're also going to have an article kind of digging into some of the stuff that we talked about, hopefully with a little bit more statistics, if we can actually pull some stuff uh, together from the places that we do actually manage to get statistics from. Um, but, you know, the usual. For all things full-time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all of the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more information about the show. If you'd like to subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage, you can do that right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. It's always one of our very best deals at that URL. My name is Meg. You have been listening to Full-Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.